Well, good morning. It's good to be here. I do have um, something for you, um, an announcement and a request. Um, so, number one, uh, just want to acknowledge God's faithfulness over the course of the last 13 years. He has uh, provided everything that is necessary as he's led us here um, to this place. Previously, we were at a community center for a year, and he provided um, in that time enough to where we were able to come in here and build it out in the in a matter of two weeks. It was all built out. So um, he's proven himself faithful time and time again. And so now we are discerning. I've been praying about this for quite some time, just being ready for the time when it is time to move on. And, um, and so I'm going to ask you um, to come alongside and participate uh, just along with the leadership of the church, in praying for what the Lord has next. That is, we are ready, I believe at this point, to begin to pray for and see about uh, purchasing a piece of property um, with the building. I am specifically praying for a location that has that is already zoned for a church. That way we don't have to go through a CUP and that whole process if you're aware of that, great. If you don't, it's just a process of trying to have it zoned for a church. Um, so that's where we're at. Now, it's all in God's timing, and it's all God's wherever location he has for us. It's all in his hands. We entrust that to him. And so we don't know if that's going to happen in a year or in two years. We have no idea. Right now, I just want to begin for all of us to get to come together and be praying uh, for that. So we'll see what the Lord does. I'm, I'm anticipating um, something, something, whatever it is that the Lord has. You know, when I, when I first started looking for a place, I remember looking at several other locations, and um, they, were, they were much less than what the Lord had in mind for us. And so I expect that also as we continue to to look to him and see what he has for us. So are you excited about that? This morning we're continuing in the letter that John wrote uh, in 1 John. We are in chapter 2. First John chapter 2, we're covering verses 12 through 17, and the title of this morning's message is Victory is Secured, But Resistance is Required. I, uh, I was quickly reminded as we were worshiping how it is that the Lord had spoken this very thing to Joshua as he was going into the promised land, did he not? He was telling him, in fact, I thought, how wonderful, right? God's consistency. This, this is not a new message. This is something that he's been doing time and time again from the beginning of the history of mankind. But in Joshua chapter 1, uh, the Lord was speaking to Joshua. And he said, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I'm giving to them, to, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. So he's already talking. He's speaking in the past tense. It's already a done deal. He has given him the land that he's going into possess. And it's the very same thing, the same principle that we are to observe today. As he declares victory in our life through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so keep that in mind. I always point to the fact that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same God in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. And so we, we should be mindful of that. We should be aware of that. And we should understand how it is that he works and what he desires. Now, victory is secured, but resistance is required. Let's read 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. 
which says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I am writing to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Father, we thank you, Lord, that as we consider Lord, what we just read, we realize that you desire to encourage us, knowing that we, in Christ, are forgiven and have the hope of heaven. That is secured. And at the same time, you exhort us. You encourage us, and you also warn us to not love the world, to be aware of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, because it can undermine the effectiveness of our relationship with you and our service unto you. May we... Acknowledge these things and may we be aware of these things so that we may not only prove that we belong to you, but that we love you above all else. And so, Father, we thank you for this time, Lord. We ask your blessing and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57, the Apostle Paul writes, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Though the world around you falls apart, and it is, you will not if you are abiding in Christ and he in you. We must remember and be encouraged by the fact that God is faithful and he finishes everything that he starts. There is no, no project, there is nothing that he has started that he will not see it to its completion, including the work that he has planned for you. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We also need to remember that our victory over sin and death is known in Christ. And it does not change according to our circumstances, according to our trials, our tribulations, our feelings, our emotions. doesn't change. Our victory in Christ is secure. It is sure. Do not doubt that. Do not question it. Know that your salvation, if there has been a true, genuine repentance and a confession of the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life, then He is able to keep you until that day that you see him in glory. And nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. In Romans chapter 8, verse 31, it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 
Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Or distress? Or persecution? Or famine? Or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen? What a joy it is. What confidence we are encouraged with to know that there isn't a single thing that can separate us from the love of Christ. To know this is to know peace in the midst of trials. Well, that is when we can go through trials and tribulation, tough times, difficult circumstances. And even though we are enduring those things, we're not doing so passively. We are doing so actively. We are expressing a hope and a confidence not in our circumstances and not in ourselves, but in God Almighty, who is able to see us through. Oh, what peace, what confidence, what joy. This peace and hope should reveal a humble confidence in God and help us to persevere, to endure through hardships. He promises, remember this, he promises to be with us. He says, I'll never leave you and I will never forsake you. He's with us. He's there to help us persevere. He's there to help us endure hardships as well as temptations. John 16, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus never promised an easy life. In fact, he promised that we will have tribulation, we will have trials, we ha will have tests in our life. But he says, oh, take heart. In other words, be encouraged. Be encouraged. I have overcome. You know, at the time John was writing this letter, there was a, the problem was Gnosticism. But instead of writing an argument detailing why this doctrine is false and refuting this dangerous belief that one gains salvation by simply gaining knowledge, building up knowledge, John instead reminded them of what was true. If you want to know, if you want to be discerning on what is false, know what is genuine. Know what is true. In that moment when you know what is genuine, what is true, you will be able to identify what is false. You will hear something and, and you will have this sense of feeling just uneasy. Like my spirit does not testify to that. And then you can go back to scripture, be that Berean, right? Test it out to see if, it's true or not, and then you, you find out, sure enough, thank you, Holy Spirit, you gave me that discernment as you gave me the understanding of your word, and I was able to discern that which was false because I knew that, that which is true. John was doing this 
He was laying out what was true. He reminded them of what was true and how one can be sure of their salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and see the evidence of this in their manner of life. What he wanted for them is this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. In chapter 2, verse 3, it says, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. D.L. Moody said, quote, The best way to show that a stick is crooked is not to argue about it or spend time denouncing it, but to lay a straight stick alongside it, close quote. I love that. Now, is that crooked or not? Let's lay down something a stick that is straight. And we'll see it immediately. In what we just read in verses 12 through 17, we see both an exhortation and a warning, an admonishment. He strongly encourages the believers with what is known and true in Christ, and he strongly warns them regarding the dangers of loving this world. Remember that John desired that those who were reading this letter would know that they have eternal life in Christ. And so we can be sure that God's desire for us is that we would know victory is indeed secured in Christ. But at the same time, while we are in this world, one thing is required. Absolute tolerance of everything, right? Are you listening? Yeah, don't fall asleep on me. It's not tolerance. In fact, the Christian is required to be intolerant of that which is false. Love what God loves, hate what God hates. There is a such thing as righteous anger. And so we need to know these things. Know what is required. We're in this world, but no, we're not of this world. So what is required is resistance. That requires for us to be discerning and to be willing to stand up for what is right, what is righteous, what is true. Required that we resist against evil. That we resist against the desires of the flesh. That we resist against the desires of the eyes. And that we resist against the pride of life. That is what's required of us. And so John begins this section by first giving them a word of encouragement. Know that you are, in Christ, saved, secure, and nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He begins this section by addressing the church by acknowledging the various states of spiritual maturity, known within the body, and then encouraging each one by stating what is known to be true. He refers to them as little children, fathers, and young men. First of all, there's a strong encouragement of what is true. He begins with little children. Verse 12 says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. We must all always understand that anything that is of any value, heavenly speaking and good, is for the glory of God, it's for his name's sake. The term children can be taken as a term of endearment. Often the beloved disciple of Jesus Christ tenderly would tenderly address his fellow brethren as beloved children. And, and this is reflective of his personality. You know, there are some who just, that's just who they are. Especially if you go to a diner down south, you're called sweetie, right? 
It, it's true. But people tend to refer to others in certain ways, right? Use those terms of endearment. I'm reminded of how J. Vernon McGee would address his listeners as he would refer to them as the beloved of the Lord or of my beloved. It's a wonderful term of endearment to address, to acknowledge, you are my, my beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, how I love you and my heart desires that you would grow closer to the Lord, nearer to him, that you, you would know him deeply. But in context, this is not what John was intending. Because we see the other two groups he mentions, fathers and young men. It's not just little children, but it's also fathers and young men. When we first surrender our lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we begin as children. Not knowing fully, not understanding completely. We are in that, you can say, infant state of spiritual maturity. There's many things we don't understand. Things that we cannot do, we, we don't know what we don't know. We are indeed born again, but we are newly born again. Dependent and immature and in need of much instruction. Just keep in mind a little infant, a little baby. A little baby uh, is dependent on those who are caring for the baby, right? Uh, they need to be clothed. They, they need to be changed. They need to be fed. They, they need to be held and and. They need to be taught much, right? That's the same thing spiritually. Little children, you begin, we all begin as, as infants. We are born again. At some point, we begin to be able to roll over, in a sense. <laughs> to get on all fours and crawl. At some point, grab the furniture and rise to our feet take a few steps, and every time we step, we fall. Step, we fall. We step, we fall. But at some point, is, not, is it not expected for a child to develop to the point to where they take steps on their own? Yes, right? At some point, they, they begin to run. Not just walk, but run. And then they, they come to learn that their name is not what they had heard all along, but now they begin to understand that their name is no. <laughs> what we do know in that stage, though, something very important. In that initial state, what we do know is that our Father loves us. We know that we are loved with an everlasting love. We know that our sins have been forgiven. We are known the perfect love of God, demonstrated through his son, Jesus Christ. We are reminded, as John addresses the little children, Listen, you know you've been forgiven of your sins. We have a sense of eternal gratitude because we know the depth of our sin and that our sin was leading us to condemnation, eternal condemnation. Oh, we are full of joy, gratitude, hope. Oh, our, our burden of sin has been lifted. Our eyes are on our Savior. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
This new knowledge of having been completely and eternally forgiven brings us great, great joy. Unmatched by anything we have ever experienced and known up to that point. We have realized that our sins separated us from God, but reconciliation and restoration to God was known by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And forgiveness of sins was secured by Jesus' full payment. As we acknowledge this morning, during communion, full payment on our behalf as he hung on that cross and bled. Oh, to know that is to know a great joy. But initially, we're still babies. And as new believers, we're overwhelmed with gratitude, and this actually should continue in our lives to this very day. It should not diminish. We should be reminded of it often. Oh, what we have been saved from, delivered from, and the hope that we have in Christ. But he not only addresses little children, but he also addresses fathers. In verse 13, he says, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. So who are the fathers? Oh, they are those men and women who possess a mature, deep and abiding relationship in Jesus Christ. These are men and women who have experienced the fiercest of life storms and the depths of God's faithfulness. Having the word of God tested in their lives. Seeing whether it is proven to be embedded in their hearts, found faithful time and time again. Oh, these are oak trees planted by rivers of living water whose roots are deep and wide and whose limbs provide shade of comfort and stability to all who draw near. That is why it's important, by the way, for those who are fathers, mothers in the faith, to participate in the fellowship of the saints. It's not the time to retire. It's the time to lean in a bit more into the fellowship. I am thoroughly encouraged by the life that Chuck Smith led and how it is that he was on oxygen and he would come up rolling the tank of oxygen to preach, to teach from the pulpit. Week in and week out. What is our excuse What is it that keeps us from serving the Lord, from walking with him? No, we ought to lean in even more so into the body of Christ. And be those men and women who are willing to invest in others. The little children are in need of fathers and mothers. Are you that person? All these people are the ones that, as the psalmist wrote in Psalms 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. These are believers who are in communion with God. There is a depth of fellowship known by them with him, our Lord and Savior, that is unmatched by anything the world can offer. And there is nothing that can entice them to leave the one they love for something else. Come what may. Their life is lived to the glory of Jesus Christ and his service. Oh, we need those in the church. We need them to stand tall. We need them to participate. Not to retire. Not to withdraw. But again, lean in even more into the body of Christ. 
Well, he also addresses young men. Again, in verse 13, he says, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Young men is referring to those who are no longer children. You know, sometimes we um, sugarcoat things, tiptoe around certain things, but I have to say that the young men and women need to stand up and be accounted for in the church. There's no one at that point that's going to force feed you. You're not sitting in a high chair. It is time for our young men and women to read, study, meditate on the Word of God, live it out, be in prayer, and participate in the body of Christ. Because you're no longer children, but you're not yet fathers. These are men and women who are actively walking in communion with Jesus and actively serving him. These men and women have known victory over the spiritual forces that seek to destroy their spiritual walk with Christ. Who he's referring to are those people within the church that are strong in their faith, that have experienced some confrontation, some trials, some testing, and they stand faithful with the Lord. These young men and women know what it looks like to battle against Satan and his attacks. In Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11, it says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. To keep your way pure before the Lord is referring to the wholeness of your life. In its entirety, is completely devoted and consecrated for the Lord and for holiness and righteousness. By the way, these are also the ones who are to be active in service, as I stated. Because we really don't see children and old men and women enlisting in the military, do we? You know what? There's some old men and old women that would love to. Yeah, let's do this and let's do it right, right? But you don't. That's why there's a, there's a, there's a cutoff for the military. At a certain age, like, ah, thank you, Grandpa, but we want young men and women. What we see fighting on the front lines is men and women who are, who are strong and able. But again, it comes down to choosing this. No one can choose to do this for you. Young men and women, it's all on you. You have to choose. You have to be willing to. You need to desire it and then act on what you know. And then John repeats what he said with slight additions of details to emphasize these things. Verse 13, I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Little children know the Father, and they are getting to know the Father. They are in the process of knowing who He is, learning to submit to His care and authority, learning how to be obedient in what it, it looks like, learning to trust the Father and understand the love of the Father. These are all things that the little children are learning to do. 
in the process of. Fathers, he says, you know him who is from the beginning. In other words, besides him, there is no other. They've come to know that no one else has the words of eternal life. There's hope in no one else. There's purpose in no one else. No one else has the the answers to life and godliness. No one else. Young men, you are clothed with strength of Christ. As his word abides in you, if indeed it does, you have known victory over the attempts of Satan to conquer you. Our strength is not because we've grown in worldly wisdom or knowledge of the world. The strength of young men and women, their source is the word of God. It's being indwelt with the spirit of God. It's having understanding and knowing how to apply the word of God. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so with strong encouragement of what is true, there is also a strong warning of of what is false and destructive. Verse 15, as we continue, says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires But whoever does the will of God abides forever. It's a strong warning that John gives here. He's reminding them of what is false and destructive. He begins by saying, do not love the world or the things in the world. In John chapter 17, the apostle John records what Jesus prayed to the Father. In John chapter 17, verse 12, it says, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. You know, James 4.4 writes, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You know, as we read, Jesus did not ask the Father to remove his people from the world. but that they would be consecrated unto him for holy service in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Proving by doing so that they belong to him and choosing to trust in him. And all the while proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to all. Listen, God does not mince words is we cannot love the world system and what it offers and love God at the same time. It is either one or the other. 
Listen, I don't apologize for pointing you to being a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice unto God out of obedience to him and expressing gratitude for having been saved and knowing Jesus as your Lord. Because the world does not make apologies for what it does and what it requires. Because the world is beckoning you and desires from you your love and complete devotion to it. Oh, your time, talent, and treasure? Oh, it is vying for it. It is desiring it. It is doing everything in its power to possess it. We need to pay attention, church. We need to acknowledge these things. We need to understand what's happening around us. Be aware. Understand these things. Because the world is constantly enticing you to spend your time investing in it, using your talent to advance it, and spending your money to build it. Think about that. Oh, carrots dangle before you. Position? Have you been enticed? Power? Are you encouraged? Authority? Do you desire it? How about prestige? We see it all over social media. How about comfort? To be better off is not the same as being better in Christ. How about status, recognition, and the list goes on and on and on and on. And the world is saying, come and get it. Oh, you'll be, you'll be happy, you'll be content. But when you do, when you do go after those things, you realize that they're empty. They're vain. They really don't satisfy. You cannot get enough. Once you attain this, you got to get more or something different. I'm not happy. I'm not content. I'm not satisfied. Always more and more and more and more. The rewards are empty. And we realize at some point, I pray, that they are temporal. As it says in verse 17, it's all passing. And the world is passing away with all of its desires. It's all, it's all passing. It's all vanity. But the things of God are eternal. And John was... Warning them. He was admonishing them. He was telling them, hey, listen. Do not love the world. Because if you do, what you're proving is that the love of the Father is not in you. Listen, it's black and white. Brothers and sisters, what are we doing when we're trying to ride the fence? holding all of these things preeminent in our lives and then saying that Jesus is preeminent when we're proving otherwise. How are decisions made? Do you feel at home in the world? As it is attempting to make you feel that way. And know that you're alien to God. Jesus made it very clear we're in this world, but we're not of the world. I give in to it. I don't belong to it. We're pilgrims. We're passing through. Our home awaits us. You believe that. You desire to heap treasures in heaven. Above accumulating treasure here on earth, whatever that may be. 
The character of the world is known in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. As it says in verse 16, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The Lord will never entice you with these things. Again, I repeat, the Lord will never entice you with these things. May I repeat it again? The Lord will never entice you with these things. Is it an open door? Is it enticing the flesh, the eyes, or the pride of life? Perhaps someone else has opened that door for you, but it's not the Lord. The lust of the flesh is a passionate desire to fulfill the desires of the flesh. A longing for something in order to feel satisfied and content other than the Lord. It could be anything. It could be sexual. It could be material. It could be experiential. It could be position. It could be prestige. It could be financial. It could be all of those things. The lust of the eyes. This is an appeal for and strong, passionate desire to fulfill this appeal for those things that are pretty, beautiful, outward, even artistic in nature. Catching our attention and holding our attention with awe. Are we held in awe with the creation more than the creator? We're Artistic, yes. But is it what we desire? Do we desire to fulfill the lust of the eyes with those things? Other than simply knowing the Lord. And then there's the pride of life. This is a passionate, overwhelming desire to be admired and looked up to. Oh, this is dangerous. Oh, you mean I could be made wise by eating of this forbidden fruit? Oh, then perhaps others will admire me, acknowledge me. Above everyone else, I will will be looked up to. Then I will be satisfied. Then I will be content The Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, 11 through 13 says this, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Again, I remind you, God will never appeal to us in any of these ways that are mentioned, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. It's a counterfeit to the genuine conviction of the Holy Spirit who points us to truth in Jesus Christ, where our our true and complete contentment should be, and warns us of Satan's lies. Again, the world is indeed passing away along with its desires. But John says, but... Whoever desire or d- does the will of God, whoever does the will of God abides forever. Listen, your victory is secured in Christ. Knowing that your sins are forgiven, you know the Father and have overcome the evil one by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Secondly, resistance is required. Learn to identify what is of the world and resist its lustful pursuit over the devoted pursuit of serving God and desiring his glory alone. Remember, if Jesus is indeed our Lord and Savior, then we serve him in his glory alone. Not ourselves, not anyone else. We serve him in his glory alone. Therefore, we give to him our time, talent, and treasure. Because on the other side, we're giving our time, talent, treasure to the world, the things of the world, and ultimately, we're giving our time, talent, and treasure 
to the prince of the air, Satan himself. We're serving him. The question is, for each and every one of us, is he your king? Is he your Lord? And are we willing to and desire to serve him? Perhaps we're infants. Maybe we're old men and old women that are well-grounded in, in God. Or young men and women who are willing to go to the front lines and serve and live our lives to the glory of God. But do you first belong to him? Father, we thank you, Lord, for the love that you have for us. Indeed, our victory is secured, but resistance is required. I ask, Lord, that perhaps through this time of studying your word, and that we have gained better understanding, or that we have come to understand the everlasting love that you have for us. And how it is that you demonstrated it through sending your son to die on the cross on our behalf, securing victory over sin and then having victory over the grave. Lord, as Jesus was resurrected. Lord, I pray that if anyone here does not know salvation, that today perhaps is the day that they are willing to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. I pray that this would be something sincere, something genuine, Lord, a, a true repentance of that sin that separated each and every one of us from you, the Father, and has reconciled us unto you through Jesus Christ. As we confess our sins and repent of those sins and turn to you, I pray, Lord, that salvation would be known this morning. And Lord, that your people, my brothers and sisters, that we would all be encouraged, Lord, to know how to live in this world, but not be of this world. To love you above all, for you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.